Hello, my name is Johnny Taylor and I am a PE teacher and a coach with a passion for all things related to mindfulness, breathwork and sports science. And welcome to the Optimal Mindset Podcast. In these episodes, we'll be chatting with some of my personal idols and experts in the field of sports and performance. I hope to uncover their stories about their journey, optimizing routine and mindset to achieve their goals. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. All right, welcome to episode three. I'm here with uh, Kelly Fay. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, thanks for yeah, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Johnny, for inviting me. Um, I'm excited to chat about what I do and mindset. I love it. Uh, uh, cool. So Kelly is a sports psychologist. Uh, she worked with Team GB at the Paralympic Games uh, in 2018 in the Winter Olympics. Uh, she was part of the Ulster Rugby setup in Ireland for 10 years and has worked with a uh, variety of different athletes across multiple sports. Um, and just with such a breadth and depth of knowledge, uh, I really can't wait to hear your experience of what it means to develop an optimal mindset. Um, so yeah, thanks thanks for joining the show. So I always like to start, start with a bit of background. Um, what got you into this field um, and kind of what inspired you to be a sports psychologist? Well, I grew up um, in a small kind of village in Ireland and I, we only had our GA sports, so we're Irish sports. I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but for anybody um, that doesn't know them, it's Gaelic football and hurling slash camogie. So I grew up playing them from no age and just in a, in a community and a family full of sport. So I knew that I always had this passion for sport. Um, when I was in school and stuff, I wasn't mad about school, didn't love it, kind of, you know, wanted to do anything, played every sport in school to get out of class, basically. Um, and eventually then, when I went on to college, I got an opportunity to study in America for a year. And when I went over there, I was studying um, psychology. So I was at the time, I was just doing sports studies. I didn't really know what else to do. And when I went over there, I got an opportunity to study psychology. And I thought it was really interesting. And I'd never been exposed to psychology before. It wasn't a subject offered in A-levels or anything in my school. And just found it really interesting and wondered, wait, you know, could this apply to sport as well? Didn't know if it was really a thing. And when I got home, then I did a bit of research and found that actually there was three places in um, the UK that you could study it. So uh, where off I went, applied and, and studied it, did my undergrad, did my master's, stayed on lecturing before getting into the applied sector. Um, so yeah, I just, I suppose essentially I fell into it, but I always knew I wanted to do something to sport. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So I always, obviously this show is about developing an optimal mindset. So to start with, maybe you could give us, what would be your definition of someone that is developing or maybe has an optimal mindset? What, what would that look like for you? It's a tricky one. I think, you know, it's a hard one to nail down, isn't it, really? Because it's different for everybody depending on the environment and the circumstances you're in. But I think if I was to try to summarize it, it would be, I suppose, one that enables you to thrive in your environment, whatever that is. So not that it's easy or, um, you know, you don't come up against obstacles or challenges, but more that you can work through them or, you know, you you know how to sort of develop confidence to be in them or maintain focus or embrace pressure. And I suppose for me, I'm always sort of seeing that mindset in sport, you know, and, and the business sector, um, more so than just in everyday life. But it's the, the key words for me are really like resilience and adaptability. Like you have to be adaptable to the different circumstances. So it's, it's really about an optimal mindset. It's really about being faced with challenges um but understanding that you can actually choose your response rather than 
you know, feeling overwhelmed and not having the ability to, to take a step back and see it. So, yeah, it's really one that I suppose enables you to thrive by understanding and learning different other skills that complement that. Yeah, I like that. I like what you said. There's almost kind of like the, the difference between the stimulus and the, and the response. And there's like a gap there where you can where you can respond rather than react, which is, yeah, thanks. That's a really good definition there. Um, so obviously you've worked with some really high level um, Paralympic athletes um, in terms of your coaching, your psychology. So what, what kind of would your, what would your day look like if you, you know, day to day work? What kinds of things would you be doing with your athletes when you're, when you're working with them as a sports psychologist? Yeah, well, you know, when you're working one-to-one versus teams, obviously it looks a little bit different, but but in general, you just sit down and you have a chat, just kind of like how me and you are chatting now. And it's um, I try to keep it very informal and relaxed because the athlete tends to open up a bit more. But you would tend to just chat through different maybe challenges that they're facing and then I would provide some tools and, and strategies to help them work through that. And then we would look at how to put it into practice. So that would be kind of one aspect that, you know, one-to-one. And then the other side of it could be just delivering workshops within groups or getting groups to kind of do work, you know, to, I suppose, enable them to tackle problems that they're facing. But the the other side of my job is, and what I've been really fortunate to do is spend an awful lot of time in the actual sporting environment. So I would have traveled a lot with my teams over the years and, you know, I would have been standing at the bottom of a ski mountain, you know, at the end of a race. So I was the first person the athletes would have seen. So I was getting all the emotions, whether it was a good race or a, a poor race. Like I was either getting the tears or the elation and helping the athletes kind of pick up and reset after that. Um, or you could be standing at the side of a football pitch, you know, or in the changing room at half time. And like your role is actually quite minimal in those environments, Johnny. You know, um, people always say to me, like, do you talk at halftime? Do you, you know, and I'm like, no, my, my job is just to kind of almost observe the environment and see if anything is needed and then quietly pass it on to management or, you know, maybe grab an odd player on the way out and things like that. So the, the thing I love about my job is the fact that it's it's very different, you know, from day to day. You know, you, you do an awful lot of the one-to-ones and of course that's very routine. Um, but in terms of the challenges, the personalities, uh, the sports that you're coming up against, they all present different features and then that obviously enables you to choose different directions which is what I love about it awesome and would you say that sports psychology has I mean you've been doing this for a you know looking through your kind of your resume you've done had so many variety of experiences which is which is awesome would you say that sports psychology has changed in that time like has there been a shift has it become more prominent in you know in the way that you see and people kind of recognize it more or or how has it shifted in the sort of the last 10 years yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, in the sense that, like, it has. It's I think it's massively shifted. So even when I think I started working on this field about fifteen years ago, and it would have been very hush hush, like don't don't tell anybody what team you're working with. Our teams never said they're working with sports psychologists, or, and everyone kind of can do and have problems. So obviously, it was more about getting out problems. Whereas nowadays, people are being more proactive. They're looking for an edge. They're like. You know, just like the embrace S&C and nutrition and physiology and ML analysts and stuff like that, it's very much now, right, how can I get, uh, you know, an extra percent here? So they're, they're looking to develop their mindset or, you know, and I, I love the fact that now it's a lot more proactive than it is reactive. Plus, also now, like, um, thank you speeches and, you know, when, when people are celebrating victories and stuff, like they mention their sports psychologists, you know, it's not like a hidden feature anymore. Like it's it's very much 
talked about now in athlete interviews, they'll mention sports psychology and things like that. So it's moved on a lot now. I will say it still has a long way to go because obviously we still got some maybe more older school mentality, you know, with, with um, oh, you don't need that type of thing, but it's <laughs> come on leaps and bounds. Like I've noticed such a difference even over 15 years I've been practicing, you know. Oh, fantastic. And I bet it's really nice that you're kind of seeing that shift happen right from the start of your career to, to where you're working now. Um, I want to go back to something that you said before about um, working with teams is different to working to, with individuals. Um, how do you how do you find the work that you do differs between, say, working, obviously, I know you worked in rugby and now you're doing some work with Gaelic and swimming. But how do you find the sport kind of impacts the mindset and the work that you do with the athletes? Yeah, that's interesting. Um I, I would say that I've noticed a pattern over the years of, of certain things. So, for example, when I work with swimming, obviously, it's a very individual sport. Um, huge commitment in terms of time, right from a young age. Um, very parent-led as well, because obviously, you know, when swimmers are young, you need parents to drop them off at five o'clock in the morning and, and come after school and stuff like that. And I would find that they put so much focus into their like physical uh, and technical training that they completely neglect the mental side of it and they don't really see maybe the advantages of embracing it and it's more of a challenge when you're working with athletes like that because you you have to go a lot further to to make any impact whereas teams like Gaelic and even rugby um, and stuff like that like believe it or not are so much more open and embracing it because there's a lot more challenges so one there's the challenge from an individual perspective but then also there's the collective challenge and if you're not getting picked you're not getting playing time and um, what's going on in your personal life like in rugby for example these guys are professionals or semi-professionals so they're having to manage lots of other challenges or demands and um, you know they're, they're managing families different things relationships and you kind of get to maybe look at the broader perspective of what, what makes them an athlete and, and an optimal athlete um so i've definitely noticed patterns over the years in certain sports where some are more resistant and some are more open um, but in general, like the type of work that you do, the areas that you work on, you know, confidence, focus, you know, emotional regulation, all that stuff, it sort of stays the same. Oh, that makes sense. That, yeah, it's interesting that you, you say that rugby is more open to the psychologist or the sports psychologist than swimming. I would have, I would have thought we would have been the other way around, but no, it's interesting for your, uh, your insights there. Um, so what are you what are you most proud of in your career? Kind of a quite a broad question there, but what do you say is something that you're you're very proud of or maybe one of your proudest moments or achievements? Oh, um, I've never really thought about that. To be honest, that's a very impressive question. <laughs> Sorry, but I put you on the spot there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> Ground. Um Yeah, well, like I suppose my involvement with GB for those um Winter Olympic cycles was massive. Um very proud of I suppose the impact that I had and the relationships that I built up in particular with the athletes and we had a lot of success which was amazing like we've had numerous gold um winter um Olympic medals um so large bronzes as well as world championships and I always find it really satisfying like I I don't I'm I kind of hide in the back I don't really like being front and center of those things generally don't and the athletes will tell you that as well but I always just find it so satisfying whenever I see them just maybe making a little change that we've worked through or talked through. You know, say for example, um, 
Millie Knight. She would be a GB athlete, and, and I'm, you know, I'm fine to share this example because she has spoken publicly about this as well. Because obviously, confidentiality and all would be quite important yeah. in my domain. But Millie would have talked openly about this. So she um, has won numerous medals for GB. Um, she's a visually impaired athlete, and Millie would have had two very significant crashes um, on the slopes, which I've been wiped right for a long time. Very bad concussions as well as you know bruising bone breaks and stuff like that. And seeing Millie been able to get back on snow again, it, it was pure psychological barrier. Physically, when she was ready, the physio was in, and doctors had her in perfect shape to get back. And then it was just it was a psychological barrier really to get back racing speed. And I would have spent also a lot of time with her working through that and, and building up, you know, her confidence in herself and trust and, you know, and, and the snow and things like that. And seeing her, we didn't even know if she was going to go in 2018 to the games because that's how bad it was. And she she came and she tailed it the first day she ended up winning the silver medal. And I actually, like, I generally don't cry that often and I had tears in my eyes like tripping down my face because I was just so proud of that moment um, and it was just the fact that she actually completed it do you know what I mean it was like and then she yeah. do you want a medal like a silver medal and she was um, 0.8 seconds off of gold do you know that's like and it was just seeing her smile at the end was a very proud moment for me um, because I just knew the end like that you know like it was almost like that satisfaction of your work and um, that and then there was a one other example just um with uh, it's a Gaelic football team made ladies in, in Ireland in the ladies version and they would have been lower division football and I got a call to get involved and the girls struggling with confidence and different things like that and we went out that first year in like an intermediate final and we got beat and was back involved again the next year did an awful lot of work. We went out and we won that final the second year. Then the next year we were obviously up in senior and we would never have been expected to win. Like, I mean, never in a million years expected to win. And we went on to win the All-Ireland. And like the All-Ireland is a huge event, a huge, huge event. And we went on to win it. And like, I just, again, was so overwhelmed with the fact of what we achieved. And no, like we were underdogs the whole way and no one gave us a, a minute, you know, in terms of, like in their sentences about who was going to win the scale. And then the following year, we did a back-to-back. So we're in this year now going for a third. Um, I would say that that was another really proud moment because this is amateur athletes who are not funded to, you know, but live professional athlete lives, essentially, you know. Um, So, yeah, a couple of very proud moments there now. Yeah. Oh, amazing. No, sound, congratulations. It sounds like your impact is huge, right? And uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome that you, you shared those two stories. Sorry for apologies for putting you on the spot there a little bit as well with that question. But um, so I know you wanted to talk about this and it's something that I'm also quite interested in um, in terms of obviously we talk about having an optimal mindset and developing it in like a positive way. But what struggles and what, what barriers do you see at maybe athletes that do you go through this process of, of learning and maybe the sports psychology? Do you see any challenges that these athletes athletes face when you're working with them? Yeah, you know, I'd say the, the main one is actually a lack of self-awareness. Like, I think for anybody to develop um, an optimal mindset, you, the self-awareness has to be your start point. You know, you need to really understand what your blind spots are, you know, the areas that you uh, need to work on a little bit more. And I'd say it's, uh, for a lot of athletes, it's a lack of self-awareness. Like, the coach can see it, the you know, the managers can see it, everybody can see it, but sometimes they can't. 
So it's actually getting that breakthrough with them to see that. Like that's a massive challenge and that can take a long, long time depending on, you know, the, the age of the athlete, the situation, who else is involved, stuff like that. You know, other other sort of challenges then would be just like people being very fixed. You know, we're quite stubborn, I suppose, as human beings. Um, and, and we can be very fixed as well and know this way is the right way. This is this is what I do and, you know, we don't see the need. And it's wee, but it, it's connected, I suppose, to that lack, lack self-awareness. Um, so they, they would definitely be massive challenges that you have to try to be really clever about breaking through. Um, and then also just thinking... The, the, a, a real challenge and a real problem when people are trying to make changes as well is just, first of all, a lot of people are afraid of change. You know, where it's uncomfortable. It's not, it's, we're not familiar with it. It's just not our, our hockey dog. And so we have to get them to see that it's okay. But also then they think it has to be perfect. Like they, they think it has to be this really great linear picture. Um, and actually it doesn't, you know, it's not going to go your way every day. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have days where you're literally ready to scream your head off at something. You know, you're going to have all these ups and downs, and that's completely fine. Um, but it's getting them to see that that's okay, and you can still choose your response. You can still work through it. That is the key. So there's there's definitely a lot of things like that that can challenge mindset um, as well, you know. And, and also the environment. If the environment's not right for athletes, like, for example, if coach maybe isn't open to it and stuff like that, that's going to be a massive challenge to you in terms of creating change. So in, in those instances, like when you do come across maybe one of the more old school coaches or someone with, you know, a view that the yeah, sports psychology is not needed, how would you go about approaching that or, or shifting their perspective? Like what kind of strategies would you would you think about using? It's a, it's a very tough one. Definitely. <laughs> I've seen up by numerous examples. <laughs> uh, so, like thankfully, most times you get the win with it, but it, it can, yeah, it can take a lot of time and effort. Um, Look, my big thing is that you have to meet somewhere, someone where they're at. Okay, so what I mean is that there's no point in me, if you're resistant to working with me or, you know, sports psychology, there's no point in me, like, trying to drag you across to my way of thinking. I need to understand where you're at and what the challenges are for you and why you think that way. And it's the same with coaches or athletes or anybody whoever you're working with. So that's the first thing I always say is like, don't try to pull someone across, just go and make them where they're at. So if I have to go 90% to you, do you know what I mean? That's where I go. And then I try to take you along with me. And what what it is, it's about getting them. It's, I suppose there's a wee, shouldn't really admit this, but there's a wee tiny bit of manipulation sometimes because you, you almost get them to come up with the ideas and, and, oh, okay, that's a great idea. Well, here's how we can start, you know? And that that is the way you have to sometimes embrace it because Sometimes people just want full control and that's actually why they're resistant. Um, it's because they want to be in control of everything and they're a little bit um, fearing the unknown. So it's about getting them to kind of see, sort of shifting their perspective, but by putting them in control of the decisions, if that makes sense. Um, so if bottom line, the key is just meet someone where they're at instead of trying to force it and then be really patient with it. You know, like I had a snowboarder and if he listens to the thing last, because he'd know, he'd know how he is. And he <laughs> refused, refused, refused to meet me. Like, I mean, every training camp I was on, I'm not meeting her, I don't meet her, whatever, you know, this kind of way. So one day I just said to him, listen, um, I'm not interested in, he'd been through a lot of trauma in his life and stuff. And that one's like, I'm not interested in your trauma. I don't, you don't need to tell me. I know you've, you, you've sat with multiple people before. 
sports psychologist or not sports psychologist, but like other psychologists, clinical different things. And I was like, you, you've worked through that. I says, I, I'm here for a completely different reason. And I says, but you know what? Just give me 15 minutes. Let's just have a cup of coffee. For 15 minutes. I'll put a timer on. Once that timer is up, you can get up and walk away from the table. Genuinely. And I, I just, I, that's all I said. Just please commit 15 minutes. And we sat down for 15 minutes. And when the watch went off the timer and I said, look, I'm not going to lie to you. Timer's away. 15 minutes is up. You can walk away. He's like, no, I'm actually fine sitting here. And we went on to have a really strong relationship and, and make changes. But because I didn't try to dive straight in and tackle things that I knew were very tender to him or force him to, to do something, I let her just ask for an agreement for 15 months, which was something that he could then agree to and manage. Um, you know, we were able to build a, a really good relationship. So you have to really understand the individual and take a, a tentative approach, I suppose. Not, I think where people go wrong to some things are too forceful, too demanding. Um, whereas I would tread very lightly and carefully at the start before I get a bit more demanding. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I think you seem like the patience is the key, right? You don't want to go straight into a relationship with a coach and start butting heads because I think that would that could cause a, a lot of issues. So yeah, that's some good, actually some really good advice there. So that's, that's really helpful. So obviously you've talked a lot about the work that you do and, and you've, you've given some brilliant examples of, of the kind of the, the situations that you've been in but if you could maybe share like three actionable things that you would do or maybe three like tips that you would say that someone who is you know maybe playing sport or working in business that they could do to improve their mindset what would be like the three key takeaways that the listeners could use for their for their work well Again, you know, it really depends on the areas that people are struggling with because there's such a, a wide range and depending on where you are, there's different students. But if, right, if I think to the key things that come up all the time, the, the one thing that comes up time and time again, and people are always surprised by this, but top athletes, like elite athletes, professional athletes, like the one thing they struggle with with is confidence. It's, it's self-belief. And Genuinely, when I say that to people, people are usually surprised. They're like, really? But they seem so confident. But sure, why would they, you know, they've won all these medals, they've achieved all the success, blah, blah, blah. But it is, it's the one area that they really struggle with. Um, so for athletes out there, and I think this would be a really common thing across the board for a lot of younger athletes and stuff too, if self-belief or confidence is, is something you struggle with. What the reason being is that we have a tendency to always look for a negative. Okay, so as human beings, we're sort of set up with a negative bias. And it's really just there. It's like we see the threat and want to keep ourselves safe. You know, we, we always uh, sort of see the hole as opposed to the path around it type of thing. So you want to really try to shift um, your perspective into looking at strengths. Now, there's, there is a difference here. It's not about being really, really positive. Okay. It's, it's about being constructive. Like if, if positivity is something you struggle with, because we know there can be a, a downside to positivity as well. But it's helpful and it's really helpful in, in the right dose. And But if it's something you struggle with, then think about being constructive. Think about um, being instructional, motivational, you know, with your self-talk, for example. So the main reason that a lot of us struggle with confidence is because our, our narrative, our inner dialogue is, is super negative and is telling us, you know, don't drop the ball or don't make that mistake, whatever, instead of focusing on what you want to do. So the first thing I always would suggest is a really useful tip for people is try to identify whether your self-talk is helpful or unhelpful. So does it push you towards your goals or, or towards what you're trying to achieve or does it sort of hold you back or keep you away? And that's how you'll know if it's helpful or unhelpful. Now, 
when when you can do that, then you want to learn the art of challenging it, you know. So we talk about the three C's um, in self-talk. So catch the thought early. Then you want to challenge it. So where is this coming from? Is it true? You know, is is this necessary? Like, is it kind? Is it inspiring? Is this helping me move forward? And usually it's like, no, no, no. There's no facts behind it. Like, we're, we're making up stories in our head. Then the final C would be to change. So change your talk or change where you place your focus. So by changing your talk, Johnny, what you want to look at is like um, sort of reframing it. So if, if I'm seeing the bad in something, I want to try to reframe it to see can I look at it from a different angle or a different perspective. So it's not, as I said, it's not necessarily about shooting it right across to being super positive, but it's maybe about saying, yes, you know, all right, I'm really nervous. I'm not going to perform well today. Maybe that's the thought coming into my head. So I would maybe want to reframe that and say, yeah, I am nervous, but nerves are good because nerves tell me that I'm excited for this competition or it's important to me. Or, you know, understanding that nerves are a way of, of your body or your body's way of telling you. It's like the physiological symptoms that, okay, you know, I'm ready for this. So, and it's really your interpretation of it. So if, if you can use the three C's, so catch, challenge, change with yourself, talk, and then learn the art of reframing, it, it'll move you on an awful uh, big way in terms of trying to gather that so that would be one way that I would try to um get off they start working a little bit on confidence the other thing would be don't don't be afraid to write down a strength list so if if I was to ask you right now like tell me Johnny tell me five or ten things just that you're um not good at or you struggle with or whatever like I'm sure you could rhyme them off fairly quickly and then I say right but tell me some strengths most people really struggle with that most people yeah. um uh, and him and her and it's like they're embarrassed first of all like we don't like to admit our strengths is just not in us to, to sort of say hey I'm really good at this and whatever they struggle with it but once you get them to sort of take a little bit of time with it and they can acknowledge their strengths what I get them to do is when they go out to every practice or they go out to every game they want to really focus in on one of those strengths so just take one so for example if, if you're playing football and you know that your passive is it's really good right your footwork your passing is really good just go out and say, I'm going to nail that today. Because when you keep the focus really small, all the other aspects actually just come naturally to you. Whereas what happens is you go out and you try to overthink everything. God, I have to be perfect. I'm not allowed to make mistakes. I, you know, I need to do X, Y, Z. And when we're trying to do everything, we end up doing, doing nothing very well. So again, just focus on your strengths and using them to be your driver in trading and games is, is another re strategy. Um, and Maybe just something specifically for athletes would be purposeful practice or deliberate practice. So what I mean by that is when we go out to training, um, you know, we go through, we do what the coach tells us or we go through the motions all and it's grand, okay? Because, you know, we get a lot of physically ready. But how much do we get ourselves mentally ready? Do, do we, 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 we stretch, we warm up, we do all those things, we physically get ourselves ready. But do we take two minutes? That's all it has to be. If you've more, take more. But do we even just take two minutes to mentally get ourselves ready? And say, right, this is what I want to get out of England to make. This is what my focus is. Um, when you train purposefully or deliberately, you get so much more from the session. And for example, if I'm working with rugby kickers or penalty takers in, in soccer or Gaelic or um, even goalkeepers that have um, kick outs to take in public, I will get them to practice their kicks. I will get them to do some deliberate practice. So perhaps they'll run to the sideline and do a sprint. Perhaps they'll do 10 jumping squats. 
you know, they'll do something to elevate their heart rate just to try to simulate a little bit of what we experience on game day. And then pull and execute your kick. Because what happens is an awful lot of people go out and they practice these things cold. And it's grand, yeah, I nail those 10 kicks and then they go out on Sunday and they're playing in front of a couple hundred people or a couple of thousand people or whatever it is. And it's a big pressure kick. And where's their focus? Oh God, all these people are watching me. Oh, I missed the last one. Oh, I didn't do around the last day. Like their focus is on over the place instead of being on executing the kick. So when you can, we can't simulate psychological pressure. It's impossible to simulate the crowd in or whatever. Um, but we can simulate the sort of physiological response in our body, you know, by initiating a few exercises or things before we execute certain skills. So again, it's just another tip that I would advise athletes to do that actually works you mentally as well, you know. So there's no, a I love that. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting that you mentioned confidence. That was not where I thought the the first thing you would come up with with athletes. So that's yeah, that's that's fascinating. Have you ever uh, worked with like meditation, or do you ever do use like meditation and as a tool to help athletes to become more aware and to maybe kind of like you said there narrow your focus so that you're more focused on like one thing at a time rather than like you said being all over the place. Have you ever experienced or worked with meditation, or do you have a background? Absolutely, it's uh, it's a big tool uh, that I would use with my athletes. So. Um, again, the other big thing that we struggle with, and again, everybody struggles with, it's not just athletes, oh. is, is um, the ability to stay present. So we know being present is a big buzzword. And, and I suppose what, what we, the easiest way to look at it is, right, our our head can be on three places. It can be in the past, it can be in the present, or it can be in the future. But our body can only be in one place. It can only be in the present. Just our physical body can only be here. And in order for us to optimally perform, in any environment, whether it's, you know, on a football pitch, uh, as a CEO, when a company, you know, you in a school teaching, whatever it is, and um, we need our, our brain and our body working together. So we need to be in that present moment to, to connect it. So things like breathing, purposeful breathing, uh, meditation, mindfulness, they're all tools that I would um, teach and encourage the athletes to use or everybody to use to try to get that focus. Um, Ultimately, when we get distracted, it's because we're either in the past or we're in the future. We're worried about what just happened or we're thinking about what might happen. Um, and so getting ourselves to perform our best is always in that present moment. So, of course, you know, we need to be confident in all those things, but there's no point in being confident if I'm still thinking about something else, you know, or if I'm, I'm thinking of the game one and I still have five minutes to play, you know, and the other team was possession or whatever it is. So that ability to stay present, like mindful is meditation, you know, breathing, like they're such powerful tools that, like we should all be using like every day in life we should all be using them you know what I mean to, to help our focus because there's an awful lot of distractions isn't there like every day we're distracted oh so many things so yeah no, I'm a big advocate of those two and you know what's really good about them I don't know like um there's obviously loads of different apps which make it really really easy and a few of those apps have sporting sort of features now which is brilliant so um like there's the two that I recommend a lot to my athletes are Headspace and Calm just because yeah. they're so accessible um, but they have like Calm for example has like LeBron James the, the famous basketball player and he does like a whole mental series and it's absolutely fantastic and that just sort of showing athletes that like Marcus Rashford he does um, one on the Headspace he does like a bit of a series on the Headspace app so when you can show athletes that professional you know the top guys in their game kind of use vehicle these tools they're, they're more likely to start to use them because trust me when you first introduce maybe um, meditation to a rugby player 
<laughs> you mightn't get the response you want. Um, you might look at you kind of going, what? What has this thing helped me create? But once you show them the connection between learning the ability to be present and still your thoughts um, and, and regain focus and, and minimize distraction. So again, you know, when that, when a player is taking a kick, you know, we see them taking the really enhanced breath, the, the inhale for three or four seconds, the exhale for three or four seconds. We see them doing that with that breath. They're tuning in to how that feels, whether it's the earth and through their nostrils, you know, the, how it feels in their stomach or the diaphragm. When they feel that, then they're not thinking about the fact there's 60,000 people watching them execute a kick or 20 people watching them take a penalty in the park. Do you know what I mean? So um, those tunes are massively powerful for helping our focus. Yeah. Awesome. I think it's it's interesting because when you often, you know, when you talk about meditation, there's this like esoteric view of like some yogi sat on top of a mountaintop, you know, cross-legged for three days. And, and I think it's, it's applicable to everyday life, right? Like meditation, even, you know, where being mindful and being, being where your feet are, which is what something that I always say is, is, it's something you do in every, everyday life. Right. And, and I think it's good that they have these positive role models now starting to, to use them because then it's going to filter down and people are going to be like, ah, oh, you know, it's a good tool to help. Okay. So yeah, that's some fantastic tips. Yes, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Sorry to interrupt you, but there's brilliant clips of say LeBron James, for example, using it upside of the cord in timeouts. He literally just puts a towel over his head and he's doing a little bit of uh, meditation or breathing, you know, and it just shows you like, you're right. Like it's everyday life. Like there's so many distractions that we're faced with internally and externally. And it's, it's that ability to be present, to be where we are, like where your feet is, uh, that enables us to perform. It enables us to perform in our relationships, to, you know, have an actual meaningful conversation. It enables us to do our jobs much better, to you know, like have this conversation right now, uh, you know, as well as perform up on the bigger stage. So it's definitely what um, I think people need to embrace. And also we know that there's so many benefits like it increase not only does it increase focus on, on confidence uh, or concentration but it improves confidence and um, you know and all that sort of stuff as well and it aids sleep like it's a brilliant factor of sleep it's it's a brilliant tune for quieting in the mind when we're overthinking you know and or anxious or panicking or over and all this and stuff too so yeah the benefits are endless oh fantastic all right last last question um do you have any uh, tools or any like uh, maybe life-changing books or anything you come across and you'd be like, wow, that has kind of shifted my perspective on kind of life or in sports psychology? Or would you say like, what would be your two favorite kind of resources that you would go to? So for for players and athletes, there's one book that I always, always go back to and recommend. There's loads of brilliant ones out there, but this one, I love the way it's written. It's um, The Pressure Principle by Dave Aldred. Um, so he would have been like a rugby um, kicking coach, but he also does a bit of work in, in the sort of psychology of a think inside of it. His book, The Pressure Principles, just has super tips for performance for mental side of your game, but just puts it into such a practical way. Like there's examples for every chapter. So I love the fact that it's it's written for the layman as opposed to, you know, the, the technical side of it. Um, and it's a massive one and anytime I recommend it players absolutely or athletes absolutely love it so I, I would definitely advise that and then and like this is probably a very common one that you're going to hear a lot about but like Atomic Habits is, is a really good foundation book for getting people started and making small changes and not just for the athlete but for you know us all as, as Joe Blogs every day um, again 
written in a way that's easy to understand and that's that's what I like about kind of books is like I don't like the really technical ones I, I like I'm very um practical person when it comes to sports psychology once was all the athletes and teams that I work with to tell you that like I literally show them how to put into practice and what it means for their actual performance as opposed to going too technical with it so these books uh, with all the cats by James Clear and uh, Pressure Principle by Dave Aldred definitely really get you to those points where you can make changes and really understand why you're doing that um so they're they're good they're they're really useful maybe even just for people that find that they are a bit stuck with their mindset try reading uh, mindset by carol dweck so it's about growth and fixed mindset but as we were talking about earlier some of the challenges that we're faced with like a lot of people are very fixed they are you know and sometimes they don't see it but when you read that book, you might start to tick a few boxes and go, oh, yeah, that is me. Oh, oh, yeah, that's me too. And and as I, like, hands up, like, I would have been um, probably quite a negative person, for, you know, quite a few years ago. I just, you know, always would have seen the challenge and everything would have, you know, oh, just had something to give out about. Like, I just, that was me. And, and I introduced gratitude um, a long time ago. And even just looking at that book just kind of help transform things for me in terms of making me go what are you doing because like I my main message for people is that like we are going to be faced with challenges right it's not about having an easy life that that's just unfortunately it's not going to happen um, and that's okay but every one of us have the power to to choose the response that we take we don't all have the knowledge right now but if we open our mind to learning tools and tips then we can um we can choose a, a different response. So you're going to be faced with stressors. It's not about running away from them. It's not about trying to hide from them. It's not really about leaning into them and saying, right, what is it about this that makes me uncomfortable? What is it about this that, that I'm struggling with? And then once you do that, it's so much easier to find a way forward and, and, and choose a response that's nice to give up and, and push you towards where you want to go, what you holding back. And so for me, gratitude uh, and gratitude practice and the mindset but really helped me shift and I'm a very different person now so thank god <laughs> for the oh, fantastic well just have interest what would your or your gratitude practice look like is it thinking about things that you're grateful for is it writing things down like what how would you how would you practically go about implementing that yeah so either either for me either at the start of the day or at the end of the day like I I always did it at the start of the day because I just find it set my mood a little bit better and I suppose ultimately what gratitude does is it trains us to use our optimistic sort of bias as opposed to always uh, look out the negative. So that's that's why it helps shift our, our mindset. Um, so either use it at the end of your day or start of the day and just try something really simple. Don't go too complicated. Ask yourself, what's one thing I'm grateful for today? You know, or, or you know, even you could try something like, you know, what was one win for me today? What was one win win? Like if you're at, if you're at home with three kids, and you're struggling to get out the door for a walk for yourself or you're struggling to prioritize any time, you know, a mini win for someone like that might look very different than a mini win for you or, you know, a mini win for a rugby player. So it doesn't even always have to be about what you're grateful for, but it's about shifting that mindset so that you can see, right, what was a mini win for me today or, or what was I grateful for? And when, if you do that, I, I personally prefer people to write it down because I think when you write it down, it becomes more meaningful. Um, and also it's a, a lovely thing to flip back on. So what I actually did for a full year, I committed to a full year um, putting my gratitude thoughts on Instagram, on, on my Instagram stories for a whole year. 
Uh, so they kind of held me accountable a little bit. And, you know, I literally just got put up a picture of anything and just written what I'd scraped before that day. You know? Yeah, like I'm not saying people have to do that because I know a lot of people want to that. That's what I do to try to push myself. Otherwise, I could have took an easy way out. But definitely something as simple as that. I'm right of down. And it's it's either evil a nice way at the end of the day if you had a stressful day to kind of help put your mind a wee bit more at ease and it's like, okay, it wasn't that bad. You know, there's always tomorrow. So. Perfect. I love it. I really appreciate the fact that you've given us many... We talked a bit about theory, but you've kind of given us many practical tips that the listeners and people at home can use. So, yeah, thanks so much for, for sharing. And where can people find you if they wanted to connect with you? Like, where would be the best place to, to get in touch? Um, Probably my Instagram, KF Performance. Um, I'm more active on there. Um, And I have a website as well, KF Performance. It's getting updated at the minute. And I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter, but it's Instagram where I kind of put more stuff. So, during COVID for a full year, I put up a video every week, like a, a master line video, and it was like less than 70 seconds with tips. Um, I did it for a full year again. It's just kind of accountability commitment, and um, it was a great way to drive that forward. So I've had a lot of pressure from friends and family and lots of followers to get that started again. So um, that's going to be started again this summer. So yeah, every week there'll just be like a wee 60 second tip on a Monday. Um, so if people want to get on board, um, they can find me their performance. Amazing. I'll be following along for sure and uh, keep in touch with your Instagram. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll add all the information and uh, the Instagram into the show notes below so people want to kind of find out more about you, they can. Um, yeah, I really do appreciate you giving up the time. And uh, like I said, we, you've kind of given us these practical tools that people can use and uh, just a kind of really positive outlook on, on your work. And, and thanks very much. So, um, yeah, thanks very much. And we'll hopefully see you again very soon. Thanks for having me, darling. Thank you. All right, take care. This has been The Optimal Mindset. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into The Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our, our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember... Train your mind, optimize your life.